This morning's scripture reading will be from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. You can find that in the Pew Bible on page 1038. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. The weather is a little more encouraging this Sunday morning. Uh, last week, about this time, it was still about 20 degrees and a deep snow on the ground. Uh, it was great to see, though, such a, a great number in worship at the 3 o'clock time last week. And, and just a note of interest, you know, we mentioned several times uh, in recent months, and it's for good reason how much we appreciate uh, the guys that make available the live streaming. Uh, there were almost 200 devices live streaming last Sunday at three o'clock. And so if you take that would average maybe one and a half to two people a device, there were somewhere around three to 400 people joining the number that was already uh, present. And we heard from several of you that said we just couldn't make it out, but we appreciated so much the opportunity to worship together. And so glory be to God for that opportunity uh, for, for the, the message of God and the opportunity uh, to expand the opportunity of worship is really amazing and, and we're thankful for that. I bring you greetings from Tim Martin. Received a text really early this morning and he asked me to mention to you uh, his deep appreciation for your prayers. Uh, he hopes to have uh, one more procedure putting in the defibrillator and then also taking out the chest tube over the next two days and, and be discharged Tuesday afternoon, make it down to Cincinnati and come home Wednesday. And so be prayerful about that. That's the plans. And of course, as you know, uh, in hospitals, plans change pretty often, but that's the plans right now. And only as Tim could say it, he's looking forward to being back to Mount Juliet in his own bed where vampires aren't coming in the middle of the night and getting his blood uh, and x-raying him in the middle of the night. Uh, but we look forward to having uh, Tim back with us here. And we're thankful uh, that, that good news has uh, come from the biopsies being benign. What good news that is. Also speaking of good news, yesterday the ladies uh, ministry had a wonderful kickoff breakfast. Uh, good attendance. Stephanie Porter uh, gave an inspirational message about the Christian life being compared to a race. And also there were a lot of opportunities to sign up for good works that the women will be taking part in throughout the year. If you miss that, just out of these middle doors here and to the left, uh, you will see a table that will have the ministry opportunities available for you ladies uh, to sign up for. If you weren't able to do that yesterday, please take advantage of that today. Also, as you walk in, you notice it is another Involvement Sunday, and there are other ministries that have set up tables, and what they are doing is they are giving you the opportunity to learn about their ministry and to, if you learn about it and have interest in that particular area, to learn how you can be involved in that ministry. And to make it uh, just the best that we can make it, we decided this year we'd do something a little bit different, and this morning uh, we're going to give everybody uh, a pass so that everybody has an entrance in. And so here is your to it. And uh, so feel free to take that to it up to any of the deacons and let them know that this is your pass. And notice it is a round to it because oftentimes people say that they're going to get involved when they get around to it. So now you have one. 
And uh, if that's been your excuse for the last few years, or if something else has been your excuse, this is a wonderful opportunity to lay the excuses aside and know that the Lord's church needs every Christian involved in kingdom work. And that's the goal of Involvement Sunday, is to let you know that there is a place for you and that you are needed. Uh, that's God's design. I'd like to say that we would be smart enough to figure that out, but we didn't figure that out. God designed it that way. The Creator designed it that way. The beginning of this month, we began looking at our theme of marvel, looking at some of the marvelous creations that God made. Things like the Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, the harbor at Rio de Janeiro, Mount Everest, the Northern Lights, the volcano of Parasutin, and Victoria Falls. But we talked about the fact that just as marvelous as those are to look at and to enjoy and to try to comprehend, what really is a greater marvel is to try to imagine who can do that. How big and how marvelous is our God if he can make those things? And so now this morning, I, I pause to ask you this. What do you think is the most marvelous creation God has ever made? If you had to cast your vote, the most marvelous creation that God has ever made, what would your vote be? And maybe even think about that same question from a slightly different angle. What do you think God's vote would be? If God was going to say, let me tell you the most marvelous creation I've ever made, I believe it wouldn't be physical. I believe it would be spiritual. And I guess it might be the church. But remember, the church is made up of individuals. So it might even be a person becoming a Christian because that is a creation of God. To think about us being a new man, a new creation, something that we can't do for ourselves. that just like God makes the northern lights, God makes a Christian. That's amazing. I'd like for you to consider that with me this morning as we look at this beautiful theme as already been capably read Ephesians 2 and 10, but in that verse, the word workmanship, his workmanship is used. I want to show you, and I showed you this several years ago, but, but I want to take the time to just, an introduction of this lesson or the first point, however you want to call it, to leap off with this very same thing. This word in the original Greek text is only used in the New Testament twice. And it, it's very uh, interesting and revealing kind of the consistency Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the first chapter. And I'd like to show you the first and only other time that's used. Then we'll come back to this in Ephesians 2 and 10. Look in Romans 1 and 20. For sin, I would say, see if you can pick it out, but it's probably pretty easy to pick out, isn't it? Okay, uh, pretend that all that's black text. See if you can pick it out. And, and that phrase, that kind of long phrase, to think about that, all those English words, they were translated out of one Greek word. And, and here's how it reads, Romans 1 and 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How, how can you see invisible attributes? Well, what he's saying is, if you look at creation, you can begin to understand things that otherwise would be invisible and seemingly impossible to understand. So here's what he says, being understood by 
the things that are made. That's that same word in a moment we're going to look at that is translated in English in Ephesians 2.10, workmanship. By the things that are made. And so what does it prove? What does it help us see? It helps us see even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. I don't believe that half the things that are attributed to Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, and Napoleon, they ever said. And so I doubt he ever said this, but here's how the story goes. Napoleon was on a ship out in the Mediterranean, and he was walking past a group of officers. It was night, uh, the stars were bright, and they were mocking the idea of a supreme being that was a creator. And so as he walked by, he actually heard them say that. A supreme being as a creator. And they laughed. And one of them said, what a joke. And he stopped and he stared to get their attention. And when he had their attention, all he did was wave his hand across the sky and say, well, then you have to get rid of these. That was Napoleon's answer. That's kind of what Paul is saying there. Everything that shows marks of design and craftsmanship demands a designer and a craftsman. This piece of furniture demands a craftsman. The bench that you're sitting in demands a craftsman. The watch that you wear demands that someone designed it and created it. Who can make? Have you ever wondered why God made the universe so vast? I don't claim to tell you that I know exactly why, but I can't help but wonder if it's not this. Did he make the universe so vast so that the more that we understand really how great and infinite it seems to be, the only thing we can then logically conclude as we try to grasp our understanding of God is he is amazing. How big and powerful does God have to be to be able to make the universe that we are in? That's kind of what Paul is getting at in Romans 1, where he says, just look at the things that are made, and it proves his eternal power, and it proves the Godhead. Now let's go back to Ephesians. Oh, by the way, uh, just this week, Anita Keith sent me a picture of a, a little plaque that she has in her house, and she said, this is one of my favorite quotes in my house. And um, it says, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. And that's exactly what Romans 1 is saying. Let's go to Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 10, and notice that word again, for we are... His workmanship. That word workmanship is that that is made, that is produced. Now notice we are His workmanship. We have been made, except this time He's not talking about physically. You know it's true physically. He made us physically, but that's not what He's talking about here. If you look back in your Bible at that paragraph that the 10th verse is probably the last verse of that paragraph, you'll notice that verses 1 through 10 is all about the redemption of a sinful people. And so he is writing some beautiful truth about how God saves what begins as a horrible message. We are sinners. We are lost. We're walking in the course of darkness. We're being led by the, the, the flesh 
fleshly desires. That's the first three verses. And then verse four, but God. What is all of this leading to? It's leading to the fact that spiritually we are his workmanship. He's doing for us what nothing or no one else could do for us. Not to drive the point totally in the ground, but just very quickly, let me illustrate it this way. On this chess set, you know, there are some very, very expensive pieces of, of, of chess sets uh, in this world. And the reason they're so expensive is because there's so much detail in the craftsmanship of them. Perhaps a better illustration is to think about a Stradivarius. Stradivarius is considered one of the finest works that man has ever created. Now you can debate that, but it is an Italian family that in the 17th and 18th century began making violins and they made them of such high quality that now people refer to any area of life when it is at its finest, they call it a Stradivarius. If you do your career better than anybody else, you can be a Stradivarian. It's the idea that this is the best. What makes that violin so special? It's creator. The creators of it have figured out exactly how to make an instrument to bring the greatest of sound out of it. And they're valuable. It's not uncommon for them to sell for 5 million, 10 million, 15 million. Two years ago, one was put up for auction and the minimum bid was 45 million. Now they didn't get it. But that's the idea of how much they're worth. Now we think about a creator and we think about what are we worth spiritually if Jesus Christ died in order for us to become his workmanship. To think of the marvel of God creating spiritually. It's far greater than the Grand Canyon. It's far greater than the, the Northern Lights. The idea of God taking someone like me or like you that's old and dead in sin and he can save us. He can make us anew, a new creation. It absolutely is amazing. Go back, if you will, and glance with me when we think about what did he begin with. Think about the materials. Like, for example, we talked about the Stradivarius uh, violin just a moment ago. You know, the materials that they use, the top is spruce and the back is maple and the, the ribs and the neck maple and, and internal blocks are made out of willow. And, and so we see these resources and we say, how do you make such a fine instrument? And they would say, these are the resources we use. All right, God, how do you make such a fine church? Your church is beautiful. Your church is amazing, which by the way, we don't have time to strongly develop this, but please note this, because this is important. We're studying primarily the Ephesians, the second chapter, one through 10. But if you look at verse 11 down to the end, what he's doing is taking the individuals that are his workmanship and he's bringing them in, whether Jew or Gentile, he's bringing them into one body. And he emphasizes over and over that there can be peace that there can be unity in this one body. That is a part of God's marvelous creation. How can we from all of our different backgrounds and, 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 and our, our, our different understandings and just our different personalities, how can we all come in and experience unity? 
How can we experience peace with each other? Well, we only can if we're allowing God to create us. Listen, any time Christians stop allowing God to create us, we'll start experiencing strife and, and factions and division. As a matter of fact, if you want to just keep reading, you go down to the second chapter, the end of the second chapter, go down into the third chapter, and he even says this idea of, of us all being able to live as one, it's how the wisdom of God is manifested. The unity of the church shows the wisdom of the God, not only the world, but even the principalities and powers, even those that are not human. That is amazing. Later on this year, we'll study that from the idea of the marvel of the Lord creating the church. But let's go back and think about the individuals for just a moment. When we look at the second chapter in verse one, notice, we were dead in the trespasses of sin. We were walking the course of the world. We conducted ourselves in the lusts of flesh and we were children of wrath, stirring the wrath of God. <laughs> that doesn't sound like the greatest materials to start out with. If you're gonna build something, wouldn't you want the greatest materials? We think about Involvement Sunday. Who's involved here? Well, if you grow up in a good Christian home, there's a place for you to serve. How did the Lord create the church? Well, you know, I would, I would get involved, but I tell you, you just don't know my past. I don't know if I'm worthy. How did God create the church? He began with the materials of individuals who are sinners. Individuals who are walking the course of sin. Individuals who have stirred the wrath of God. And God says, I'm going to take that and I'm going to create it anew and I am going to begin my church. And literally in the first century, the ones that he began with on Acts 2, he decided to begin with the ones that crucified his son. That's amazing. Lord, what, what materials are going to use to start your church? I'm going to, I'm going to use the ones that crucified my, my son. I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to bring them in. And wow, is that not a display that the way unity is promoted in the church goes back to the very first day where the Lord showed that the church's unity is not going to be based upon the fact that we don't ever hurt each other. It's going to be based upon the fact that we forgive each other. That was the beginning of the church's unity, and that will always be the source of unity throughout the church. Well, when we're brought in, though, it's not just that we do this. Look at the changes I've made in my life. So you try to clean up your life. You do repent. So does that just save you? You realize if that's all that it took to save you, we don't need Jesus. We don't need God. And so how are we saved? Well, the creation couldn't make salvation. It took the creator. Look, drop down to Ephesians 2 and, and read verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Did you and I come up with this scheme of redemption? Did you and I pay the price for this scheme of redemption? Now, this is going to sound silly. But if you get a little bit of arrogance thinking that you some way are saving yourself, do this. Don't try something this big on your own. Get two or three of the best minds that you know. 
and have a short meeting this afternoon. And your goal is real simple. Plan eternal salvation without God. Just sit down and plan that out just this afternoon. Just, just get some of the best minds you know and meet at three o'clock this afternoon and say, it's real simple. All we're going to do is we are going to plan eternal salvation without God. You figure out how to build a heaven that is beyond this realm of time. You figure out how to resurrect someone. You figure out how to take care of the enemy of Satan. Just go ahead and figure that out without God. If you have a brain at all in your mind, after your short meeting, what you're going to say is, salvation is a gift from God. We don't have anything. I, there is nothing mankind brought to the table to create this scheme of salvation. That was all planned before the foundation of the earth. That was all the work of God. Now, you and I can decide, do we want to receive this gift? Do we want to respond to this gift? Most people in the world are going to reject the gift. They're not going to respond. They're not going to come to the Lord. They're not going to obey Him. But you and I can decide. But as we decide to do that, in essence, what we're doing is we're bringing ourselves to the Lord in submission and we're saying, create me anew. I realize I'm lost. I realize I can't save myself. But I know this, I love you and I want to live with you for an eternity and I want to be a part of your people right now on this earth. And that's where Ephesians 2 and verse 10 comes from, that we are his workmanship. Notice though, as we look uh, at what the creator uses to save us, like, like for example, when you look at the Stradivarius, one of the interesting things, and, and I didn't do great tons of research on this, but you know, people continually try to figure out how they get the sound out of that particular violin that other creators have not been able to get out of their violins. And, and some have said that it's in the finish that they put on it. And, and they have really some strange things that they think is in the finish of these particular violins. They, they mix together things like borax, borax and sodium and honey and egg whites and, and just a mixture of other minerals. And, and they have different ways that they coat the wood. And supposedly that helps bring out this, this amazing sound. All right, so when we think, all right, God, what are you going to do to create your church? And he says, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to make the way possible through my son. But let me tell you, I'm going to begin with sinners. Let me tell you what, through my son, I'm going to offer these sinners. And look with, you, if, with me, if you will, verse 4 and 5. We see a cause and effect here. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. What's the cause? He says, I want to do this because I love you so much. But Lord, do you realize who I am? Do you realize I'm a sinner? I've lived so far away from you. He says, I know, and I still love you. And because of my love, here's the effect. I'm going to offer you rich mercy. I'm going to offer you grace that will save. Now, if that's how we were brought into this new creation, that's what literally forms our spiritual DNA. Now, it, again, 
If you took the time to read on, like verse 14, where he talks about that we're one body. How do Jews and Gentiles that had so much strife and division among themselves, how do they ever come into one body? They come into the one body because the spiritual DNA is we love. And that love is going to move us to practice rich mercy toward each other. That love is going to urge us to practice a graciousness toward each other. And so the very idea of what created us is also what sustains us. We become new creatures. We handle strife in a way that we would have never handled it otherwise. Yesterday, I had to deal with a situation with a neighbor that was a pain. All the neighbor had to do was handle one thing differently. It'd be so simple. And so you know what ran through my mind? I'll make her pay. And then you know what ran through my mind? That's not how I've been created. So instead, I need to suffer long because her mistake is costing me. And so I need to practice Matthew 18. I need to call her immediately and handle it. But then I need to be very nice and be kind to her even though her mistake is costing me. And you know what I do with that? I marvel at what God has created. Because I tell you what, the old David Shannon in the flesh would have a brand new enemy today. If you really are created anew, where peace and unity is a result of you coming into God's family only through forgiveness, and you are saved only because of rich mercy and saving grace, and so that DNA that runs through your fiber is how you operate, and that's what's contributing to unity of this body. If you are that person, you must pause today and say a prayer of thanksgiving that God has created you that way. Because you realize that if God has not created you that way, you would have enemies and a lot more of them. I would hate to think of who I would be and how many people I would hurt if the Lord had not created me anew. And I'm not saying David Shannon is not capable of hurting people today and doing the wrong thing today. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying an observation. I know when the flesh is battling the spirit and I know when the spirit wins and I know when the flesh wins. And I'm simply saying to you, don't be arrogant and take credit when actually it's God working and it's God winning. And so if your life is full of continual strife, God's winning. Uh, Satan's winning. And there needs to be that spiritual DNA where you have a pause and say, who's creating me? How or who is ruling over this situation? I beg you to spend time 
and Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. It is the core of who we are as His workmanship. And then marvel at what God has done for you. So where's this workshop where all this good takes place? Well, when we go back to Ephesians 2 and 10, we see that we are created in Christ Jesus. It can't happen if we're living in the world. It can only happen when we're living in Christ. And what is in Christ? Well, we could be on a long, long list of that. Let's throw out just a few. Hope is in Christ. Forgiveness of sins is in Christ. Eternal life is in Christ. Peace is in Christ. And by the way, Ephesians 2 speaks of that peace over and over. Salvation is in Christ. The new creation is in Christ. All of these things are in Christ. In other words, that's where the workshop takes place where we say, I am his workmanship. Anytime I leave Christ and I say, I'm going to go back out here and I'm going to deal with this the way the flesh desires to deal with this. I've left the workshop where I can be worked on. I've left the workshop where he can make me differently. Oh, I'll handle this the way I think it deserves to be handled. Well, we can demand our rights. We can forgive. But it's very rare that you can do both. And so we come back over humbly into the workshop and we say, Lord, I just want to live within your will. I trust you and I want you to reign in my life. And so what is then created? Notice what we're created for and you'll see why we're studying this on Involvement Sunday. Ephesians 2 and 10, the creation reflects the creator for we are his workmanship. He's made us. Created in Christ, that's the workshop. Well, where do you get the resources? He brought us out of a sinful past and he can use us. He can use every one of us that belong to him. And so we're in Christ for what? For good works. Good is the idea of beneficial. Works is the idea of labor and toil. We need to be willing to labor and toil and to sacrifice to do good things that are beneficial to other people. And when you put that in the context of the verses above it and the verses after it, it would read something like this. The verses before would say, look at everything that God has done for us that's good. That's the only reason you and I are saved. It's the only reason that we are children of God. Look at the good that he's done. And then you flip over verse 10 and you go to 11 to the following. And then the idea is, now Jews, are you going to be good to the Gentiles? Gentiles, are you going to be good to the Jews? And then he gets towards the end of the first chapter to talk about even more about his church. You go into the third chapter and what's he saying in the third chapter? Show the world the wisdom of God, the way everybody can come and dwell in unity. I didn't make this up. That's what God says about unity in his church. It is a manifestation of the wisdom of God. That's good works. There is a place for you to serve. And we all ought to serve together. And let me just bullet a few things here as we do a rapid close. You know what an ink pen is for. You know what a car is for. You know what a microwave is for. What is a Christian for? Notice again Ephesians 2 and 10. For good works. 
Well, what about those good works? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that God places in the body just as it pleases him. He's given you the gifts and the ability and the congregation to serve him. The question is, will we do what we're created for? 1 Peter 4 and 10 tells us as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. God's given us our gift not to serve ourselves, but literally to make a light, a difference in the lives of others. Acts 10 and 38, when we do this, doing good, notice, this is how Peter preached the first sermon to Cornelius, to the, to the Gentiles on their conversion. And he's talking about Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. Are we willing to join Jesus in living a life of going about and doing good? Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us, at the end of that verse where he talks about that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, what? That we should walk in them. In other words, our life is a continual journey of walking in good works. When you go to a restaurant this afternoon, do good. Be kind to the waiter or waitress that gets your order wrong. When you're driving on the road, do good. When you go home to fulfill your role as a child, a parent, a spouse, a grandparent, do good. Labor to benefit others. When you minister in ministries, when you serve in ministries, labor, sacrifice, and do good. And do it in a way that benefits all. It's God's plan. It's a beautiful plan. This morning, I hope that none of us takes for granted what God has created. But that we marvel at the fact that He would save us. And that He would bring us together in unity and peace. It's a marvel. Because Satan is trying to destroy it every day. Find your place to get involved. Find your place in His kingdom. Marvel and live a life of doing good. Can we help you in any way? Are you ready to become a Christian? Are you ready to be baptized into Christ? Are you ready to be restored?